Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Of all the world's most famous fictional detectives, very few in Western fiction have done their sleuthing in China, much less 18th century China, until now. Local author Elsa Hart has parlayed her own international life experience into a nifty brace of novels about an 18th century Chinese librarian whose deductive reasoning talents put him right alongside Inspector Poirot, Sherlock Holmes, and even Charlie Chan. His name is Li Du, and his creator is Elsa Hart. Her two highly regarded novels are J.D. Dragon Mountain and the White Mirror. She once lived in China, but now resides in St. Louis, and we welcome Elsa to the studio. Thank you so much. I loved your books. Thank you. (laughs) I have to say that at the outset. Why 18th century China? So uh, it it began with uh, coming to St. Louis to go to uh, law school at Washington Mm -hmm. University in St. Louis, and then uh, ending up in China for three years after that due to my uh, husband being a biologist who Mm -hmm. was studying uh, alpine plants in the mountains of southwest China. So while I was there, um, I was able to travel a little bit. And one of the places I went was the ancient astronomical observatory in Beijing. And it's a sort of square fortress-like building that stands in the middle of a city sort of surrounded by a tangle of highways. Mm-hmm. But on the top is are these um, replicas of astronomical devices that were made for the emperor of China by Jesuits in China in the beginning in the um, 1600s. So I visited and started researching their history and became fascinated with this with this period, the early 1700s and the Jesuits in China. Well, the Jesuits in China came as a little bit of a surprise to me. I, I suppose it shouldn't have, but the Jesuits and Dominicans play a, a key role in your work. They do, yes. I, I hadn't realized that at that time, uh, the early 1700s, uh, China was still essentially closed to the West. And, you know, you had the English e- English East India Company really wanting to get in and start trading, but it had nothing that, that China wanted. Um, and really the only ones allowed in were these Jesuits. And they had won their way in by convincing the emperors of China that they had technological advancements that would be interesting to him. Um, and so had become, by 1708, uh, advisors, te- technological advisors to the emperor of China. As, as you've indicated, uh, the Chinese at that time were very, very suspicious of, of all foreigners. Uh, yes, with with good reason, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, and 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 the the emperor at the time, the Kangxi Emperor, was um, had a lot on his mind. You know, he was uh, the second emperor of a new dynasty, the Qing Dynasty, and he was very concerned about uh, legitimizing himself in sort of the eyes of of the people that. Um, that his his family had conquered. So uh, he saw the Jesuits as a very useful way to to help in this project of sort of legitimization and, and um, enhancing his authority. One of the things I enjoyed most about the book was a whole refreshing new approach to the, to the idea of a detective story. <laughs> I mean, in a foreign land that we know very little about uh, even today, and with a character who is uh, quite different from most of the, quote, detectives that uh, we read about. I uh, I mean it it did end end up being in this um, unexpected setting for me, but uh, but it started out with Agatha Christie. Actually, I uh, was 
you know, we were in <clears throat> in this sort of field station on the mountain, and it was quite high altitude, um, 30, 3,200 meters, I think, which is about twice as high as Denver, Colorado. And um, I couldn't sleep at night because the altitude was affecting me. So I was actually listening to the um, BBC radio adaptations of Agatha Christie oh. mysteries. Um, and so I had I had these stories kind of repeating in my mind, and I was hiking around these these mountains looking at these old trade routes between China and Tibet that still kind of con- mm-hmm. contour these mountains, these paths. And I started wondering whether I could set a mystery on these trade routes in the mountains modeled on the same formula as murder on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the idea started. And that's not really what I ended up doing, but that was where it began. And how did the character Lee Du, the librarian of all things, come to you? He, uh, let's see, it started with... Uh, I remember it very clearly. It was a moment I there are these very deep ravines and gorges up on the mountain and sometimes you'll be sitting or standing on on one side and looking across at the other side and this uh, cloud will kind of enter deep at the, the the base of the gorge and then rise up until it blocks your view completely. And then these windows will open up in the cloud and you'll see just mm-hmm. a tree or a rock across from you through the mist. And I always felt like those windows were kind of giving me a glimpse into another time. Mm. And I kept thinking maybe I'd see a figure, someone there, sort of across across time and centuries. Um, and that's how I started imagining Li Du. Um, I then modeled him a little bit after a Chinese scholar named Xu Shaku, um, who used to travel through areas of China with maps and correct errors in them when he found errors in these maps. And I, I read some of his writing and, and found found some of Li Du's voice voice there. You paint wonderful pictures of, of the terrain that you just partially described here a moment ago. It Thank must you. have been very impressive to you to have drawn these, uh, these pictures. Thank you. It was, uh, it was such a privilege to be there. The natural beauty of that part of the world, sort of the, the southernmost tip of the Himalayas, is, is really astonishing. And of course, the, the, the problems between China and Tibet, uh, which exist till today, worked their way into your stories as well. It did, especially into the, the second book, The White Mirror, mm-hmm. that uh, there, this, this great rivalry between the emperor of China and the, the fifth Dalai Lama, who's known mm-hmm. to history as the Great Fifth, um, and how some of those early, uh, the early relationships and conflict between between the two powers really had their origin in in this time period. Tell us something about the, the structure of society and the period of, of which you write. Um, the so the, the the period in which I write is we have this new this new dynasty, the Qing dynasty, mm. um, and that has this centralized power in, in Beijing. They had at this point moved the capital from the southern capital of China to to Beijing. So one thing that I was quite concerned with and thinking about was the way the emperor was trying to define the borders of the empire and exert control over these very distant borderlands where, you know, most of the population were uh ethnically and culturally very different from from those in the north so speaking different languages and having you know different priorities and so um what the emperor was doing to try to um make his authority project that far was was a lot of what i was thinking about mm-hmm. and researching what what about the classes of society i mean certainly we have the the royal class of which you write but uh, there are plenty of other folks there as well it's true. It's interesting. I, I mean, I, I enjoy setting my, 
I, I wanted to find things that I that a contemporary audience could relate to. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I was looking for was actually um, th- things that are kind of fundamental to humans and humans interacting and weren't even so specific to the history that you get to these rural places where people are struggling to communicate with each other. And a lot of the interactions don't look that different from what they do today. You, you know, you, uh, you eat together, you try to um, establish some sort of common ground um, and, and, and go from there, really. So uh, certainly what was defining this area was very much the subjugation of these local ethnic minorities by, by the Qing majority. Um, there seemed to be uh, a great deal of um, feeling for the supernatural, if you will, amongst your, your characters. That be- became a, a big part of it, demons and things of that nature. Yes, yes, that did become a big part of it. I, um, I'm i so much more a, a storyteller than a historian, and those uh, folk tales and fairy tales and, and elements of the supernatural were just irresistible to me as I came across them um, in history and 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 started to develop these these characters with very very strong beliefs um, what what resources did you have for your uh, research so I did a lot of my historical research uh, in the US when when we would come back you know for holidays so I was uh, or during my final year of law school because uh, I had very little social life I would uh, you know between classes be in Olin library at Washington University uh, Using you know the the fantastic resources there, also resources at the uh, Missouri Botanical Garden. Um, so a lot of uh, history books. Uh, one of the top ones being uh, a book by Jonathan Spence that translates uh, poems and edicts and letters by the Kangxi Emperor, and then orders them in a way that gives you a lot of insight into his character. So that was a, a big resource for me. That book was your otherwise your legal education any help to you in in becoming a <laughs> An award-winning writer? It was. It was definitely a help to me. I mean, uh, unexpected trajectories in life. It, what, you know, I, I hadn't intended to turn it toward a, a career in writing fiction. But, you know, so much of what you learn in law school is how to take this um, infinite number of facts that are present in any given situation and um, select the ones that are relevant and turn them into a narrative. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly applicable to, to writing fiction as well. And so I learned that discipline. Of course, living in China was helpful to uh, to all of this, needless to say, but you've lived in a number of interesting places. How does it happen that you've lived in the Czech Republic and, and other places? I, 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 I'm so lucky that I, I moved around a lot as, as a kid. My, um, my dad, when I was born, my, uh, my parents are both from the U.S., but my dad was the uh, foreign correspondent for U.S. News and World Report magazine in Rome. So that's where I was, I was born. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Later, he was in uh, Moscow, so that's where I was as sort of early childhood. And then for high school, we were in uh, in Prague in the Czech Republic because he was working for Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty. Um, so oh, really? that was my, what my, took my brother was also associated with those uh, organizations. Oh, so really? Perhaps they knew each other. Oh, maybe <laughs> they did. Yeah. Well, does this the fact that you've lived in so many interesting places over the years is that going to inform future work from Elsa Hart? Absolutely, I think so, and I and I hope to to continue traveling and and being inspired and and maybe go back into more m- memories from childhood and from the places I lived and the the stories I was told. Um, so I I look forward to going all sorts of different directions in the future. It doesn't sound like you're going to spend much time in a courtroom. I don't think so. <laughs> I think I've taken a pretty strong swerve in a different direction at this point. Right. What are you working on now? 
I'm uh, so I've just completed work on the third book uh, about Li Du. Uh, it's called uh, City of Ink, and it's going to be out in August. And it it brings Li Du back to a necessary confrontation with his past and to his home and his library in Beijing, and and sets him a new task to solve there. So I'm very excited about that. But I have just finished it, and I'm now um, turning my attention to the very early stages of a of a fourth book that will be set in London. How long does it take you to put these together? I mean, the, this is you write beautifully, and the, but the books are of some length, and the three hundred pages plus. You're you're banging them out like crazy. It <laughs> it's been speeding up. Um, yeah. The first one took me about three years, um, and then the the second one uh, about a year, and then yeah, a year, and the third one a year again. So um, definitely getting through it the first time and having a lot of false starts and and mm-hmm. and learning a lot has made the second the second two easier and knowing my characters already well, what is the process like I mean do you get up at five in the morning and write for four hours and then take the rest of the day off <laughs> i do i try well I, I try to treat it pretty much like a work day and and start mm-hmm. start in the morning and and cut myself off in the evening, but it is difficult because you get so um, immersed in this world, this imaginary world. Mm-hmm. It's hard to um, to exit it. One of the things that I liked about the books is the fact that when the quote the mystery is solved, the book continues and and creates a kind of a postscript to all of this that is fascinating and kind of looks like it's going to lead to a sequel. Good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it. It is. I I think that that has some to the fact that it's um, historical mystery and not just straight up mystery um, is part of why you know I have to get in this this extra content. You know, so many mysteries are able to really end with it, and this is the person who did it, and that's and there's no more after that. Whereas I had sort of other things I needed to wrap up that. How, how did that come to you? I mean, that is a little bit different from most of the books of this genre. Writing in a historical well, yeah, uh, de- detective stories, for lack of a better word, for uh, you know, continuing the story beyond the solution to the mystery. I think, I think it it it, it does have to do. I mean, I I consider myself a, a a mystery writer, and I I I love mysteries. I always have, and I respect the formula of them. Um, but I did want to, you know, some a, a mystery. Some of them, the the sort of cleanest, most old fashioned mysteries are almost like math problems. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're puzzles, and then you put just a gentle layer of human personality on top of that. Um, and I just wanted to to layer in a little bit more of human motivation and contemporary relevance and and historical content to the book as well, mm-hmm. so that just expanded it beyond beyond the formula of mystery a little bit. One of, the, one of the questions I had in reading the second book, The White Mirror, was the constant references to butter tea. What the, <laughs> what the heck is butter tea? Um, <clears throat> butter tea? Butter tea is uh, in full uh, yak butter tea. And uh, yak butter tea is uh, very important in the, the Tibetan, sort of Tibetan area of this part of the world. Um, and what it is is you take very strong tea and steep it for a long time, and then you add to it or you churn into it yak butter, um, which has a very sort of cheesy, musky, yaky kind of taste. <laughs> and then um, whatever that is, whatever that is, it's it's um, <clears throat> very strong butter, um, and and then salt, and it creates this uh, very energy giving, warming, warming drink that is. Uh, 
traditionally has formed a huge part of, of the diet there. Have you tasted it? Yes, yeah. yes. Because the characters uh, all seem they're consuming all the time. It's what it, that was written mm-hmm. from, from experience. We, uh, some of the work that we did with our um, botanical collaborators there was sort of deep into the Tibetan cultural sphere. And we were making it up and down the mountain every day on, you know, yak butter tea and and not very much else. And does it work? Does it give you that uh, additional boost? It really does. It was like a Popeye spinach effect. Like you could feel like you were too cold and tired to possibly move from the ground. And then it really would get you going and sustain you for hours. What's going to be the title of the book that uh, is coming out this, uh, this summer? Uh, City of Ink. City of Ink, yes, you already mentioned that. And the one to follow, do you know yet? I don't know yet. I'm excited to to find out. Well, I definitely am going to be looking for City of Ink. Uh, Elsa Hart, uh, as I said, I enjoyed your first two books, and I'm sure I will enjoy the third and the fourth. It's been a lot of fun meeting you, and it's great to have you in St. Louis doing your thing. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for having me.